Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. Today, I have the pleasure and the privilege of bringing Meredith Fogg Libros to the show. I have an Instagram link for her if you want to follow her and check her out, see some pics. It's at Meredith underscore F-O-G-G Fogg underscore Libros, L-I-E-B-R-O-S-S. And thank you for joining me, Meredith. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. She's a yoga teacher, a Ashtanga yoga teacher out in Los Angeles, California. And she teaches with Pranidhi Varshne, who I had a chance to have on the podcast as well. Check back a few episodes ago and have a listen. It's really cool, actually, to speak to two different teachers that work in the same studio and to hear the dynamic from both sides and also to hear the appreciation from both of them for each other about how much they do to kind of hold the space together. So go ahead and have a listen to this conversation. You're here now, obviously you get to listen and then check out before a couple episodes with Praniti Varshne. It was such a pleasure to meet both of them. And the next time you're in Los Angeles and if you love Ashtanga yoga, go check them out. All right, let's get started. Meredith. I'm so happy to have this opportunity to meet and speak with Meredith Fogg Libros. And Meredith, you are in Los Angeles. Do I have that correct? You do. I'm currently in Ojai, but I'm in Los Angeles and Ojai. How, I split my time. How far away is Ojai? That, I, from? that I teach in Los Angeles. About yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, Not wow. Far. So, yeah. wait, when you teach in LA, that means you drive an hour and a half to get to the studio? No. Well, occasionally, uh, I mostly spend my time in Venice in LA, uh-huh. but my family and I have been renovating, a, a like a little ranch up in Ojai. Nice. So we come on the weekends and sometimes, you know, uh, tomorrow's a moon day. So I had, uh, extra time. So I came up here after dropping my kids at school, my husband and I occasionally trade just so that we can get a little nature, you know, get out of LA. So it's, yeah. it's very different up here. It's ranch land. So um, I'm fortunate that I get to be in both places, but I teach in LA and, and norm- me and my kids are in school in LA. So I'm normally there. Cool. I appreciate yeah. Pranidi introducing me to you teach at her studio at Yoga Shala West. That's correct? Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And how long have you been a yoga teacher? Mm. Um, about a decade. Cool, yeah. nice. That's yeah. a good solid amount of time. Do you I, feel like- I guess I don't. I don't. I guess I never really time stamped the day, like the day the switch was flipped. The switch was <laughs> but flipped. About a decade. Yeah. What is one of the stereotypes that you think exists around that switch flip in relation to being a yoga student? And now I am a yoga teacher. Is there anything that you find interesting about that? There's a lot that I find interesting about that. I don't know if it is necessarily a stereotype. I feel like, um, or, or something that's related. I feel like it's a strange yeah. choice. I feel like choosing to become a yoga teacher is a very strange choice that 
people make. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I don't feel like I made. Um, and I, I don't think historically that was like a choice that people made. It was more or less of a, uh, a choice that was made for them. Mm. Um, so, I mean, stare, yeah, the, the decision to teach yoga as though it's like a career decision always kind of baffled me because it's not a great career <laughs> in a lot of ways. I feel like those who do it, it's because they can't not. That's a good uh, point. And it's a bit of a dharmic uh, pull. Yeah. Those yeah. who who do it for, you know, the long run. I think there's a lot of students turn teachers because they are made to believe that if you feel the need to do, to connect more, to go deeper, that that's the next step. And I think that's unfortunately the result of a, like a business model, yeah. you know, a teacher training business model that, yeah. that t- tells people that you should become yoga teachers when really all you should do is just become more dedicated students. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> For some, you know, yeah. So I don't know if that's a stereotype, but the, 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 when that flip was switched for me, I didn't know it in the moment. Um, I, I, I sort of kept trying not to teach yoga. <laughs> what well, was it a situation like you were practicing and your teacher said, can you, I'm going to be out of town. Would you be willing to hold down the class? You seem like you know what you're doing or was it, was it a situation where somebody said, you really should do teacher training. You should do a teacher training. And then you took a training and then decided to start teaching. How did it evolve for you? Um, well, it evolved for me. I, I was really, you know, I did a, a, a formal teacher training. Um, I was just very lucky to have done it with um, a woman who I think is, I still to this day have a relationship with and think is credible, a woman named Annie Carpenter, um, mm. who, you know, she's an, an, an old school integrative teacher who's rooted in more than one traditional lineage um and has just a unique ability to both integrate them and then innovate on her own so i had exposure to uh you know traditional yoga through her um and that was a very valuable training experience um and i think put me in a really good position to kind of understand my own practice uh in more ways and that led to you know, teachers that then became mentors and that shaped my practice. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say shaped my career because I never really meant for it to be a career. Yeah. Uh, I feel like every time I stepped away from that path, I got pulled back into it. And this last round was, uh, you know, Prani and I just started trading off during maternity leaves, basically. <laughs> So we have five small children between the two of us. And we kind of just kind of stumbled into a situation that's you for a Mysore room doesn't always work to have alternate, you know, two teachers that alternate within the same program. Uh, But it just works so well for us. Um, And yeah, so it's just been, it's a bit of a Dharmic pull to do what I do. And I feel even more so about that teaching Mysore um, for the years that I taught in like lead style classes, um, you know, it was never quite the right fit for me. Um, because I was always, you know, really drawn to 
the teaching and the connection with the students. And I wasn't particularly good at the performative aspect of, mm. you know, a pop yoga situation where you yeah, have yeah. a different 30 or 40, 34 people in the room and different every day. Um, but I'm not, I was kind of wandered from your original question, but 10 years teaching roughly um, and taught sort of integrated Hatha style Ashtanga, Iyengar, blended, um, and then full on Mysore for the past three years or so. Nice. I also, yeah. I can you tell a little bit about, I've, I've heard so many good things about Annie Carpenter. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about what is it about her that you enjoy studying with her? I, I've seen pictures of her ever since I started practicing in yoga journal books and magazines, and she just looks amazing. And I've, I've seen... Yeah. Uh, so can you just share a little bit about why you love her, what you think is amazing about her? You kind of already did, but I'm just, yeah. I'd love to know more. Yeah, Annie's, yeah, of course, Annie's rad. I mean, <clears throat> Annie set me on a path towards, you know, Mati is the teacher I studied with for, until, up until she passed for so many years. And um, so I credit both of them and as well, Chuck Miller, who I spent a little bit of time with, not as much as Mati. Um, and then a lot of Iyengar teachers uh, in the, in LA that um I, I miss my Iyengar teachers. They kind of disappeared in COVID times. But um, Annie is just a uniquely talented uh, teacher in the sense that is outside of the yoga world. Like she can command a room, has that charisma. So she's you know clear communicator and she has this background of Shivananda a Yangar, Ashtanga, um, and she was a Martha Graham dancer and choreographer. So she has like a, a wide array of just movement background. Yes. Um, and has, she has the experience it takes to decide what part of which lineage is useful for her and then she passes that down through to her students, which I think is the kind of thing that only a few people are really qualified to do. Nice. Um, Cause when everyone gets in there and starts doing that, it, then we've lost the lineage mm. and the tradition altogether. So I'm not generally a fan of like uh, the way that modern vinyasa yoga has adapted to becoming something that doesn't have any foothold. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she's a unique example of someone who can teach a, vinyasa class that feels um like it's in the stream that's cool <laughs> um she's also just fun and funny and like a a, a general ed, uh, educational experience right she's someone who knows a lot about anatomy and physiology and offers and, and she offers a lot of trainings that aren't necessarily teacher trainings more like workshops for people who are just kind of like they geek out about things so yeah. there's a little bit of me that like just the geeking out part uh <laughs> academic <laughs> inquiry um so she's she's for, for students who are a little type a and into the academic aspect of their practice she's kind of a fun person to spend some time with because she knows she knows it all that's cool um and she led me you know in the in the direction that i went from there nice and yeah. I, you mentioned Maddie Azradi and Chuck Miller. Were you practicing mm -hmm. at the original Yoga Works in Santa Monica when they had that studio? Um, I practiced and taught at the original Yoga Works 
in Santa Monica, but not, not while they had their Mysore program. Gotcha. My, um, yeah, I mean, I entered the Ashtanga world kind of through the back door, um, which I feel great about. Uh, Mati, I spent several years up, right up until her passing, spending some, you know, int- intensive periods of time with her at least every year, if not more than once a year, or, you know, she'd come for weeks at a time. Um, um, but it was in the period between 2000 and uh, I want to say 2011 up until she passed. And what was that? 2020, 2019, just yeah. right. If my memory serves. So a good chunk of time, um, with her and, um, that period, she was, it's very interesting. She, I mean, she was similar to Annie. She was teaching very integrative yoga. She had kind of, um, she, she was not adhering to like what you would see now in Mysore, but she's still mm. teaching Ashtanga. Mm. She was just teaching Ashtanga that was infused with a lot. She was spending time in Pune. Um, so it, it had kind of, it, it was not the, a Mysore style education that came later for me, like being what it was like to be really immersed in a Mysore room. Yeah. Um, Cause it was mostly lead. So I spent a lot of time with Mati, but it, it's a different version of Mati than the people that were with her. You know, I guess I don't even know how old I would have been when she was doing like her 4 PM classes for years on uh, Montana. It's probably makes, a teenager. Did miss out on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, it was a, a second phase of her teaching, which is, yeah, which is unique. I mean, it's unique. Like I have uh, this such close bond and <clears throat> relationship with her in the second half of her life. But she was a different teacher then than when she was, uh, you know, running a Mysore program full time. Um, and I've since spent some time with Dina Kingsburg. So I was still kind of trying to find those teachers for me, those old school teachers that yeah. have, uh, you know, they're within the Ashtanga lineage. But, um, you know, I'm a pretty irreligious person and I steer pretty far from any dogma uh, yes. the moment I sniff it out. So <laughs> uh, it's kind of, it's kind of who I look for. And it's great. I love it. I mean, I, the, 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 the irony of that is the, the more senior and, you know, older, uh, not to use my senior, but more, you know, senior teachers, you kind of find the less dogmatic they tend to be because they don't feel the, uh, they don't feel the need to defend something that doesn't need defending. Mm, good point. Yeah. Do yeah. You, you, you made, I love the way that you made the analogy, like when you sniff out dogma, can you think of ways that that's helped you in your yoga practice and maybe even possibly a way where it might've um, detracted in some ways? Does that make sense? Like sometimes I, mm-hmm. I'm extreme. I'm like that too. Like I, I have like a, a cultometer that like soon as mm-hmm. I, get this feeling I'm like uh uh-uh, uh other way and then but sometimes that keeps me so um skeptical that I mm-hmm. wonder if that if I'm missing out on something by my skepticism how what have you noticed with that experience in yoga practice yeah I mean that's a great point I mean cynicism is a cynicism is a defense mechanism a lot of the times and yeah I probably it, it is very possible that my um aversion to dogma perhaps comes from not understanding necessarily the tradition the way that I would, if that had been like entry point one. Um, However, 
I really feel that I benefit from an astronaut's view of the larger project that we're um, <laughs> participating in as, and, and, and dedicating our time to as practitioners and life to as teachers um, because I, I, I don't see these distinctions. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like very fortunate for that, uh, that the radar has provided me a very good sense of when you know it, you see it. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, the Supreme Court Justice mm. Potter, you know, that that was his famous quote about the obscenity act. It's like, when you know it, you see it. <laughs> like, it's, it's an intangible thing. So when you when you when you when you when you see or experience the, something real, you know it. And when you see or experience something that is has veered off in some way, yeah. you know it. And yeah. I don't think that that necessarily lines up with doing things exactly according to the way that any one particular lineage or tradition. Mm. That's a good point. You know, yeah. suggests that yeah. you do. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I, in my, I mean, in my practice, I benefited immensely because I feel such a, such a, such a strong intuitive sense of, what I'm, what I'm doing over how I'm doing it. That's a good um, point. And I, I feel as though I offer my students the, the space to develop that for themselves um, so that I'm teaching them rather than just instructing them. Yes. Um, and I, I'm not even convinced that yoga can be taught. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good point. Can yoga actually even be taught? Well, it's like trying to teach people. Mm. Like on the Using same yoga. same level of like, how do I teach happiness? Yeah, right. It's like you're either happy or not, but how do you teach someone to be happy? So you feel yoga has that sort of instinctual element that, okay, I have a, I have a question for you then. If, um, Imagine you're on a deserted island and you like one thing when I, I started doing some Buddhist style meditation courses and trainings and retreats and stuff, there was this concept that Buddha taught that anybody can achieve uh, awakening and that, you know, it's something that any human or, you know, anyone has the option to do. And I, I loved that idea that potentially you or I or someone, someone can sit under a tree or something along that lines and, and have an awakening experience regardless of our background, our history, our, all these different things we could go down, uh, classifications. But then when I think of something like, say, if I was on a deserted island and someone's, and, and I had this idea, I want to learn Spanish or a foreign language, um, <clears throat> I wouldn't really be able to learn it unless I actually came in contact with someone that did know that language. Like I, I don't know that I'd be able to pull a foreign language out of thin air. Maybe someone would argue with me like some super high Rishi person would be like, no, you actually mm. can do that. But um, do you, so I guess what I'm trying to get at is do you think a teacher is necessary for yoga or do you think it's more important or to get uh, more legitimate or authentic that we just really have to seek within to, to figure it out. Mm. Very good question. 
Okay. I do think a teacher is necessary. My, right? And I, I've been a little I, bit teacherless myself for some time now. So <laughs> I do think a teacher is necessary. It's helpful, um, right? Yeah. I feel, as, I guess the way that I think about that is strange. I guess I think about it in a strange way. I was a political consultant for about 10 years before I started teaching full time. So I still kind of think about things in like terms of like persuasion. Um, you, you, and, I'm sorry, can I pause you? You were, you were a political yeah. consultant. Is that what you said? Yes. Can you describe a political and media consultant? Can you define what a political <laughs> consultant does? Yeah. Um, well, I worked uh, in Washington DC and LA kind of split oh, my time. Wow. Um, and I, I provided like strategic framework um, for issues, mm. campaigns, mm. advertising, uh, messaging. Um, and then it was also causes uh, that weren't apolitical, nonprofit. Gotcha. Stuff like the Gates Foundation or the United Nations. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you know, when they have campaigns, like the United Nations had a Nothing But Nets campaign, which is an anti-malaria campaign. Things like that, providing like messaging and strategic framework. And thank you. Um, I was a, a writer, copywriter, stuff like that, a speechwriter, general strategic media communications consultant, operative work. Wow. <laughs> a straight, that, yeah, not the. That sounds like a serious job. Typical trajectory. That's, <laughs> that's a little bit what I mean when I'm like, I did not choose this. This chose me. <laughs> yeah. These are two <laughs> seemingly different paths, but. All right. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I just uh, wanted to make sure I was on the right page. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are very different paths in a lot of ways, but some the same compulsion that I had, I don't know, not, not, I'm not naive enough to think that working in politics is pure, but the same compulsion that I had to help and participate and engage and progress and do something they to me feel like this it feels like the same urge within me um in a lot of ways uh somewhat of a fire to you know elevate the vibration yes yes and in the it's in a, it's on an individual level now which in a way is you know the less prestigious socially but a lot more impactful to me and to them i think in the long run um working with one person at a time Helping mm. one person at a time, That's letting a them help me, the, 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 the collective healing that goes on, how we're all moving down this path together, a mm. path that is, you know, this is our path, it is not everyone's path, but I, I, they don't seem that different to me in terms of just getting to know myself and where um, the things that, that have always driven me, That's but cool. they are very different. And I get a lot of funny looks when I say that that's what I used to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, that was a, a tangent. I was answering your question, which is which is fine. I'm coming with tangents. Um, if you're interested, we can talk more about that. But I'll bring your back question there. about needing All a teacher right. and the uh-huh. desert island, I suppose I just feel as though when I look at my practice, the Ashtanga lineage, and my role as a teacher, I see most of what we're doing to just be tech, like, tactical um i see the poses and the sequence to be mm. tactics um in 
project of Ashtanga Yoga to be the strategy. And you need teachers for those things, right? You need the lineage for those things. That's kind of where, like, the, that's the that's the container that those things provide. Yeah. But the, you know, the objective, Samadhi, leads to the, the goal is ultimately, you know, ego death and non-dual. Like, like those things, when you're, when you're really, when you've taken the framework and the container, which is really just this gigantic experiment in observing the nature of, that all things are always changing. Mm. When nice. you, you need a teacher for that. Yeah. When you've superseded those things, that that's where I don't know that you can be taught. Like mm. I don't know that you can be taught anything past the the ta- you know the tactical and strategic framework. But those things require teachers, and they require teachers who have some sense of what comes after that, even if they've never yeah. you know yeah. just some idea of where we're headed and why we're headed in that direction. And that's why I think these things are just not interchangeable, but, you know, Ashtanga is one method. It's a good method. It's not the only method. Yoga is one method. It's a good method. It's not the only method. Um, So I guess I don't see any of this as the answer. Good answer. Yeah, I think that was a really good answer. I like the way they kind of pointed out the tactic and the strategy. Yeah, that can be taught. Definitely someone can help you with that. But the the deeper inner workings, that makes sense. Yeah. Do yeah, the framework has to be taught, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. passed down. You know, that's the then 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 it's a semantical distinction, right? Like mm. the role of the teacher, like, well, it's just I'm just a conduit. I'm a conduit of, I, it runs through me and there's something unique in my experience that I have to offer when I pass it on. And my job is to take something that I got from someone and then find another way to get it to someone else. Yes. Maybe that's teaching, but maybe it's just sh- sharing. I like that. Filtering. I don't know. Do you think we could change the terminology yoga teacher training to like a yoga sharing training? Would that be a good word? Like if we were to try to look for a different, I keep thinking about this all the time. We, I personally, my wife and I, we have a studio, mm-hmm. we, we do yoga teacher trainings. And I know there's like so much to talk about just that whole idea and concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then when I think, well, what if we change it to say a yoga sharing training? I just don't know that anybody would show up. So I get caught in this little <laughs> like quandary of like, I've got to call it that because that's what everybody's been trained to look for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like the the buzzword that, and would I really want to invest my time in something that's like a yoga sharing program or a yoga, you know what I mean? It's like, also how you keep the doors open, I'm sure. There's there's that. You know? It definitely there's helps. There's that. That's time. what it comes, you know, yeah. it's no, yeah. no shade. That's how, that yeah. is the... That is the structure. It's a it's a it's a bit of a flaw in the mm-hmm. in the setup. Yeah, yeah. And that's not you know that's the that that's no one studio's responsibility to solve. Yeah. Um, unless you have some angel donor who wants yeah. to pay your bills, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tr- I, I mm-hmm. could I could Good talk point. through what I think some sort of ideal right. would be, but it's not. Um, we yeah. don't live in an ideal world. Ooh, and also nice. it's so, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like a, yeah. Judith Lasseter is someone who mm. has just for years been really um, 
advocating for like a very formalized educational mm. system mm. akin to bachelor's, master's, PhD. Yeah. You yes. Know, teaching classes, bachelor, you need that much education. When you're dealing with therapeutics, things like that, those are specializations. I understand that instinct, but something about that is also very sanitized. I mean, I, th- this is not dental hygienist work. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is something also about the way that mm. if, you know, you look, I don't, you know, you could share with me if you want you, you know, the teachers that have really embodied whatever it is about them that spoke to you. That I don't feel like most of these people like went to a career fair and decided like, this is what I want to do. And then paint by numbers. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up my, I'm going to get myself my name out there. I'm going to watch, you know, and now I, I don't, this is not a, a criticism of the people who invest money in a training for a trade and then have to try to turn that into something. That's the world that we live in. That's how any other trade training system would work. You do it for a job. Um, but there's something about that, that, eliminates that whatever it is that like the people who teach it's, it's because it it's their dharma you know it's it's because their practice became something that they like they just had to or had some unique ability to disseminate yeah that's a good point so i don't i don't know but that doesn't leave that doesn't leave anyone with any answers i agree <laughs> And I, I think, I don't know, I think a certain level of maturity that comes with wisdom is that we kind of understand there, there won't be an answer. I tried to get Praniti to, 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 to solve an answer. I knew there's no way we're going to get to the answer, but I do like trying, you know what I mean? Even though I, I kind of know, I know we're not going to get there, but, <laughs> or maybe we will, maybe, maybe, maybe we will, maybe we will. You know, when I first came across to, um, the Shtanga and I had been, I had taken yoga teacher training with Bikram in La Cienega Boulevard. Oh my gosh, back in 2001. And that was like torture chamber. And um, so then I took an easier path and went to Mysore. Just joking, that wasn't easier. And when I got to Mysore, um, I saw this system of where there was no teacher training. And it was like, you just came and you practiced. And eventually, if you seemed worthy, you'd be authorized or, you know, certified. But then, and I thought, oh, that looks like a very great way to do it. But then I started hearing other people are like, yeah, but man, I've been going to India for like 15 years and I keep doing everything that I'm supposed to do, but they just don't like me. And so they just won't let me, they won't give me that piece. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound so great either. You know what I mean? So I, like, I see, I almost think if somehow those two things could be merged together. And I do think they are merged together because I, I feel like what, what you're doing, you're teaching from your heart, you're teaching what you've learned and you're just teaching and you're not really worrying about, oh, I've got this piece of paper and this accreditation at this point. You're just like, let me just get involved with these folks and help them out as best I can. Um, any thoughts around those ideas? Um, well, I think I have two, two, two thoughts. I'll, I'll work in reverse order. Um, mm-hmm. I think any any wisdom tradition of any kind within yoga or any faith based tradition it sits on a layer of ignorance. The wisdom is there, 
but it, nothing is pure. The, the, there is so much wisdom to a system that invites people to just come and to come enough that they then are qualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as you point out, there's, there's ignorance to that. There's so much wisdom to a six day a week, consistent Ashtanga practice. There's also quite a bit of ignorance to that. And I think both are okay. I think both are okay. I think it's okay yeah. to be okay with yeah. the, the, the blind spots too. Um, it's, it's good to acknowledge them. I think you're in, you get in trouble. I mean, that's when the dogma comes up, right? Like a dog, dogma is an autoimmune disease. It's just killing the thing it's trying to defend. <laughs> it's, it's just killing what it's I trying like to protect. I haven't heard that before. I like that. Uh, well, I have autoimmune disease. So maybe I just thought of that. <laughs> it's true though. You said you do? You do have autoimmune? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of them. So uh, I, I'm always kind of fascinated by that idea. I'm so glad you mentioned my that. body is, my body is killing myself trying to not killing myself, but yeah, that I is really hyperbolic. My body is, um, <clears throat> in attempt to try to protect itself. It's, it's creating all sorts of aggravations and yes. that, that, that is how I see dogma in any system is, is mm. intentions are in the right place, but it is killing the thing it's trying to protect Great analogy. or suffocating it or suff- yeah. you know, or not allowing yeah. it to flourish in its fullest, yeah. maybe or not, not killing it. But so, yeah, so I, I guess I feel like there's, there is, there is no right way, um, which, you know, re- reverse that to your original jumping off point about trying to get answers where you know there are no answers. I have this theory that practitioners, um, it can be broad or we can speak specifically to the Ashtanga, like Ashtanga practitioners, which I do think is different when we're talking about the modern yoga world. There is a very big difference between Ashtanga practitioner and a very devoted practitioner of another kind because there's this really heavy burden on the student this can, the, when, when this is your practice. Because the word practice really does mean a different thing within the Ashtanga tradition as it does in the other yoga lineages. And I am convinced that anyone who who starts and continues down that path is not actually looking for answers. They are 100% comfortable with questions for the sake of questions. Mm. Because you couldn't be someone who needs an answer you wouldn't keep coming oh that's a great point i've been thinking about this a lot lately that's a really it's a good point and, and and yet if you're in it it makes perfect sense it's like yeah if you walked out and you saw a bunch of people in a field digging holes and then they went home and they came back and the next day they're digging the same <laughs> hole again. And then the next day there's like a few more people and they're digging and they're digging and digging. People would walk by and they would say, what are they doing? They must be looking for something. What's under there? They're looking for something clearly. And they start asking and the people digging the holes every day, you know, they answer on their terms because, you know, you keep digging long enough. You're going to hit a, you're going to spring a well, you're going to strike gold. You're going to find oil. Things are going to happen. And then you can answer those. Well, this is why I'm doing this, this is why I'm doing this. Those people who don't under oh, oh, there's a reason. There's a reason they're digging. They're digging because of X, Y, and Z. But the people who keep digging on some fundamental level, they know the only reason they're digging is just to get a little deeper. Because once they've struck gold, they don't stop. You just keep digging and you're going to hit a root. 
and then you're going to, you know, fight. Like you just, it's, uh, but the, but that's, but it's so hard to explain that to people who don't have that same need for no answer for no, mm. you know, that whatever that person, the pursuit of the, that practice, that absorption in the infinite, like, what are you doing? What are you digging for? Like <laughs> you're digging to get deeper. That's the answer. Oh it's just not gosh. satisfying. So we put I it in the terms that. of the world and productivity, you know, the same things happening with meditation practices, like you'd better sleep, you know, clarity of, of thought. It's like we we're trying to put, we're trying to assign the reasons that people do these practices when the people who do these practices on some level, they know they just do them to do them. There's something there. It's just not an answer. Oh my gosh, Meredith, that is so cool. I, I've never had that visual painted for me like that. And I I think like, even if we just got off the conversation right now, I got enough to like, just dig in on my own, like thinking on that one. Yeah. Right. That is so great. Cause like when I, when I think about the Ashtanga room and you see people, we just keep going in there over and over and over and doing it and doing it. And you're right. Like what? What are we doing? But I do think that personally, I've, I definitely have been extremely drawn to, I'm going to dig because I'm going to find something. So wait, let me just make sure I have this right. So are you thinking that? If, me too. I, I just, I'm, I'm just riffing. So this is good. This <laughs> we, is good. We can clean the so, metaphor off. All right. All right. Cool. Let's polish it up a bit. If you were, if, <laughs> if, if we, okay. So two different ways we could dig. One, I can dig just simply to dig. Or two, I can dig because I'm digging for something. And so I, I, did I get that you're thinking that we have to be digging for a reason or else we just won't dig. So then I wonder what digging without... I think there's dig- a reason. I think the reason is because every time you dig, you go deeper. Yeah, it's the deeper. The depth, it's the, just it's the, deeper. the deeper. What are you, the deeper. Why are you digging? To go deeper. To go deeper. Not necessarily looking for gold, for a root, for samadhi, for non-dualism. But you'll hit those things. You'll get there. Ooh. But, you know, those are fleet. Even samadhi is not a permanent state. Correct. You might reach it one day. You go Correct. back the next day. Yeah. And yeah. you're thinking about doing Good the point. laundry. Good point. <laughs> but you didn't stop going. You didn't stop going. You know, trying to, you're trying to narrow the the um, target so that you pass through it more often and stay for longer. I know where I'm going to end up when I keep digging. Hmm. China. I know. Do you remember I don't that, know that do, when, you, when do, you were a kid? I don't, do, I don't know right? if kids still think that, if that was right? like a 90s thing or That, that was what. such a, ni- that was an 80s thing China. even. Like you're just, you're, if you dig down, 80s, you're going to get to China. Like it was like. I was going to say that. And then I was like, that's weird. No one will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no. That's exactly what I was just thinking when I was saying, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> China. Which is a really, uh, you know, that's I, a really interesting point, right? Because, I mean, we are going to, we are going to, oh gosh, this is going to push buttons. But, I mean, if we, that's a whole nother subject that the world's superpowers are all going to either A, collide or B, coalesce in some way or both. It'll be a combo of collision and co- coalescing. But that might take us more down. I don't think that's political. Another question, since you mentioned that you're a political correspondent, how how can it? Okay, you're a yoga teacher, and so and you you know how heated everything is, and so let's not like let anybody know what our politics are. No one has to know what we think about any of that. But how, as a teacher, do you approach 
keeping uh, equanimity in the yoga shala when um, politics comes up. Being a political correspondent, I'm thinking you had to have dug in deep. Uh, now I can't even say digging in deep anymore because we're going to keep going to that analogy. But my weird, my, my what, weird metaphor. I love it. I love it. That was awesome. What? What? How do you? I'm married you, to a man who doesn't understand any of this, so he's always like, "What are you, what are you doing?" Like I used to be a distance runner. It was the same thing. He's like, "What are you running to?" I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh." Mm-hmm. I, I saw that like a funny anyway. joke. Like the only reason I would run is like, who's chasing you? Like, whoa. Yeah. Well, what do you want? What do you yeah. want? I say that to my students all the time. Whenever they're like tripped up, it's either they want to pose too much or whenever fear or aversion comes into the asana practice, I say nothing to run to nothing to run from. Like mm-hmm. that's what I tell them. Uh, anyway, the, politics does not come up in our shala. It doesn't. It's an cool. interesting question for sure. I'm, I'm trying to think just academically about how I would handle it. It hasn't very much for me. Or my, what might be true is I might be very ignorant to that it has. And because most of the people in Los Angeles and most of the people in a yoga community are assumed to have alignment, then maybe it does come up and it it's like explaining water to a fish. Maybe I'm not aware when it, maybe I'm not aware mm. of what it would feel like to someone who might not be of the same persuasion. Um, Cause to me, I'm like, my answer is like, ah, oh, it's never happened, but maybe it has. And maybe, maybe it has, and maybe it hasn't been. Good answer. That's cool. Acknowledged. That's cool. Um, yeah. I feel like it's a little bit more right now with global politics that seem a little bit stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, just because we are, we are a truly diverse shala. Um, in all of the ways, like that's what's not, so, not, um, yeah. yeah. I like, loved hearing in, about in, in every way you could imagine the word diversity being, expo- um, uh, defined. We, we fit that bill. So there might be a little bit more tension, I feel like right around, but, but it hasn't come up and I don't know of anyone who has felt like they are not welcome cool. as a result. You know, we don't go there. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're not activists. Yeah. 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 In Great. the room. Smart. Yeah. Uh, me neither. I don't even know if Pranity and I have the same, same politics. That's awesome. Um, which is, which I kind of like, right? Like we're very, in addition yeah. to, you know, being colleagues, we're very close friends. Um, I mean, we talk every day, we talk about kids, like everything, but I, like, we don't talk politics. So I'm not, I can't even be certain that we agree. So I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's a safe space. It's like, look, let's just focus yeah. on what we're here for currently. You know, what I'm, what I'm finding interesting, because um, for those of you listening, if you haven't listened to the, it's like maybe, I don't know, like eight or so episodes back, Praniti Varshne. And um, so that's, you, Meredith, you teach at the same studio, so that's how I got a chance to meet you, because I asked mm-hmm. Praniti if she could, mm-hmm. could recommend somebody, and she said, well, actually, I mm-hmm. can. Yeah, Meredith is amazing. you got to talk to her. So, mm-hmm. um, But it's really cool to hear two sides of the story from the same place. I'm enjoying, I, I think that's neat. And I think... Like when, like you said, sometimes programs operate better if there's like one cook in the kitchen and you, Mm -hmm. you, it sounds like you both have been able to have two cooks in the kitchen. Um, what else, what else are you observing in your studio? Two cooks with totally different backgrounds and totally different styles too. Like, yeah. It's pretty remarkable how well it works. That's cool. The common thread being yeah. you have children, it sounds like. I mean, there's probably a lot of common threads, but you both are attempting to raise your children, young children, and be yoga teachers at the same time, which is a challenge. Parenting mm-hmm. and, and working, I think any job full-time or just working, period, 
as a parent is challenging. So let me take you down that track. What, as a parent, what, what are you noticing these days raising children? What, what are some of the things you've bumped up against, um, in terms of challenge and or joy or both? What is it? There's a, a book, a parenting book, maybe about 10 years old now. I think that the title was, um, All Joy and No Fun. Maybe that was the title of the book. All Joy. Really sums it up. All no Joy and No Fun. fun. Well, that's good. It's a lot of joy. <laughs> There's um, no fun. <laughs> all Joy that's and No great. Fun. That's great. That's great. It's a, it's a pretty good way to talk about parenting because yeah. it's very joyful, but it is not fun. <laughs> yeah. I have no relationship with fun on my life right now. How, how old um, are your children? How old? Two, four, and seven. Holy Moses. Yeah. Two, four, and seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they're each about two years apart. My oldest two are about a little over two years apart. So I, I had three children within four years. And it straddled the pandemic. So it was wild, mm. um, which mm-hmm. the pandemic went on for a very long time in LA. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it really yeah. did. So yeah. we very, I think we're, on, we're very close family because of it, like very tight knit, yeah. the five of us. That's which cool. is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Parenting. So, yeah. So, what um, I'll, I'll throw one at you and then let you come back with something. I, um, my son is 17, my daughter is 10, and my wife yesterday flew up to take care of her mom who had an injury recently, so she's helping out for a week. So this is my first official week alone with the kids. Now granted, my son's 17 and my daughter's 10, so that's a, there's an amazing dynamic that keeps progressing here, as you know. Um, but uh, I, I would say it's a little easier for me than if you, if you're if you left them, the three of them with your husband <laughs> today like it'd be it's a different story when you have a two-year-old to a 17-year-old but and so um I I feel, my wife did a great job of like getting um all of the food for each day for each lunch packed up neat and nice and she made up a list of like okay on Monday this is happening and make sure she remembers this and on Tuesday he has that make sure you got this and she got a bunch of meals ready like so she set me up for major success right so yesterday was my like official first day and my daughter um, last night was definitely, cr- you know, crying and emotional and, and really missing mom. And, and so there's a little bit like, I really appreciate that because I think mom, mom is mom. Like how can you can't, I'm not saying I compete to be on equal level with mom. So she was crying and saying, dad, I'm so sorry that I'm crying and I'm making you feel bad because I'm saying I miss mom. And, and, and it's cause I kept saying like, well, I'm here, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And, and so, oh, oh my gosh, you know, joyful because I love him so much, but, and I want to say it was like super challenging, but I definitely, um, you know, it pulls the heart in such a way that, it's just, um, it's just amazing. You know, it's challenging and amazing at the same time. I don't know if that got your wheels to spin any direction or if, you know, <laughs> if I could get you going on something. Amazing. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I feel beholden to my children in the way that I never have or would or expected or wanted to be beholden to anything in my life. And I feel like that is a great gift and also something I'm sometimes very resentful of because even when 
the world allows me to take space, I don't want to um, and don't know how to. And as someone who's done a very good job of trying to, you know, be both within the world, be of the world and not in the world and not of the world and sort of like not, you know, I've never back to our bullshit sniffing out thing. Like I've always kind of been a little bit of a freedom fighter wanting to kind of like know, you know, know when I'm coming, know when I'm going, <laughs> maintain that uh, fluidity for my own experience of things. Like I've lost that entirely um, with my children. I don't have any, I don't have any sense of separate self around them. Um, I but that. I think that's a season, yeah. right? My kids yeah. are very young yeah. and, um, getting less young. And I, I think that it'll be actually a rough transition. It's just been so intense for so long. Yeah. Um, it's just the kind of, it is kind of the season that I'm in and I, I just have my children later, like so many, um, you know, millennials have done and that's great. I don't, I certainly don't like encourage people to have children younger because I don't think that um, anyone knows how just how hard it is and how much life experience and maturity you need. But there is something that I think is somewhat unique to people in my little slice of all of this is when my children are done being young and needing me, I am like full on middle age. <laughs> like, like there's not you know it's sort of like no like everyone's oh. looking towards retirement at that point like uh, the idea yeah, of like yeah, uh yeah. starting a larger project which i've always kind of you know, i always have writing projects and and things going on um that i'm like i don't know are these real things or are these tinkering things because what when, when they truly don't need me around the clock like they do like, I don't know, I'm going to be kind of tired. <laughs> I think I want to relax a little oh, bit. Um, yes. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I really, I would teach more. I would teach a lot more. That's what I will do. I, I hope to do. We're adding them, you know, not yet announced, but we're adding, we're going to pilot an afternoon Mysore program. We're trying to add some things to, to offer our community more opportunities to practice because now my kids are at the age where I can bring them with me give them a little sesame street and we run like that like our shala is very family friendly um so if we need to bring our kids we bring our kids that's the only way it works um so we really have like a community center vibe in that way um so things are starting to like free up and uh, that's good that's good for everyone involved i i feel like parent i feel like parenting in these times i, I think in your your opening you just asked for like a you know a unique challenge i am constantly feeling the i it's like i want to say this all the time and no one i don't know if anyone else feels this way or if anyone um makes this connection but this um the, the pressure to be present with your children is is is, is under assault Every 30 seconds, because I am on 25 group text chains, I have a text chain, I have, I have text chains that are like preschool moms, then three different groups of text chains within the preschool moms. And then I got another one started today. That's for one kid. In addition to work stuff, family stuff, 
all the fr- you know fr- friends from down the street to childhood and I'm the only one that can't seem to keep up with this I, sw- I swear I'm the only person if I, I after this I will send you a screen grab of my phone I think I have like I mean my husband who's the type of person who's like he's very uh project manager type like he can handle a thousand things that come at him in a day um no big deal and I'm like I just want to sit around and like think all day <laughs> yes. um, I'm like a big picture big picture visionary type. I'm not very good at the uh, implementing things, but uh, I feel like I'm under assault all day long with the, with the expectation of staying in contact with people. And I find it to be impossible. And I get flack from all of my friends. They sometimes play games where they will text and then they will set bets on how long it will take for me to text them back. Oh my gosh. Like I, like I get punked by them all the time. They're like, play like, like I'm so it's... bad. So unre- and I don't know how people are staying on top of it and also trying to be present with their children. So that seems to me like a unique, it's not, a, it, maybe it's not a problem for everyone, but I actually, I conjecture that it is and they just don't feel it. As much as I feel something about it, it feels so oppressive to me. Um, and I don't feel like it's real connection, but I mean, I'm a little bit of a social introvert. Like I, I have lots of friends and I like seeing my friends, but I get very overwhelmed very easily. So not that surprising for someone who likes to go to a quiet room for most of my day with my phone out of the way. Um, and I just, I just find this to be like a really unique challenge today in parenting where there's no there's no space for solitude uh, or there's no time when you feel like you aren't needed by someone else or in another place. It's, it's probably an age old problem. It just seems to be on steroids. Um, and I can't, uh, yeah, I can't, I, I feel like I'm constantly uh, falling out of the loop. Um, and it, and that doesn't feel great. You know, I don't feel like, I, I like to be like a reliable, dependable person that knows what's going on in everyone's life. But I don't know. That's really the the biggest challenge for me is not, and it's 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 not even like a larger criticism of media. Like I don't have, you know, I let my kids watch little TV. Like I don't have a a, a problem with technology in general. It's something about the way that we're all communicating in these really fractured ways um, that has left me falling further and further and further and further behind the curve. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I guess yeah. when it's all over, I'd still rather just hang out with my kids when I can. Yes. But if my parents listen to this, they're going to be like, call me back. <laughs> 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 I like have four, four like, voicemails have just come well, in on well, this. Uh, why are you doing a podcast by? with this guy you don't even know and you haven't answered your voicemails yet? Come oh, I'd so much rather Meredith. do this. But see, this is a conversation. <laughs> you know, no, this I'm is having fun. a text I, chain with 45 I, people. True, I, I, I met true, you today true. and I would still rather do this. You know, it's, it's well, hard. That, really, that's particularly hard for me, parenting. I yeah. really appreciate you being extreme, very honest about that and, and taking the time to lay that out because I definitely feel that too. And I know those of you listening are feeling that as well. I'm sorry. I mean, it's moving at a speed that is, I mean, I'm, I'm 50. So, uh, you know, I grew up in a totally different technological realm and it's crazy to me how different it is now. 
Um, I'm trying to embrace it, but at the same time, oh, I hear you, Meredith. I hear you. It's, it's wild. I mean, personally, at the end of the day, I mean, I'll get so tired that the thought of like, I, I think I just want to like do something with my kids, but I'm so exhausted. I just want to, I have to just lay down. Like I just have to lay down and, and you know, I'm like, <laughs> so I'm with you. I know it's challenging. It's a big one. It's a real big one, but I guess you, I know you know this and I'm not saying I'm out of the woods yet, but it, I guess I was going to say it gets easier, but I'd be lying to you. It, it, it doesn't really get easier. My son, I mean, he's driving and oh my gosh, I mean, it's a whole nother level of like, so, um, but it does get easier. I do think so. It's just a different type of problem. It's just the, the challenges yeah. and the problems are just, they're there. It's just different and unique and Ooh, that's, well, uh, that's, that's, really, that's, that's, that is, yeah. that is the, that is the devotional element of the practice, right? Is the, yeah. that it to the yeah. nature of change. It's yeah. always changing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's all, you know, that like change doesn't always mean progress. It's going to get harder. It's going to get easier. It's going to get harder. It's going to get easier. I, yeah. I've mostly just opted out of <laughs> staying in contact with a lot of people to, yes. to be honest, but yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, and I, I feel like I talked to my own, my mother who raised us in a, and we were very small, like in a small mountain town in Colorado. And that I'm sure had its own isolation and challenges. But I like have this very like a fantasy unfair fantasy about it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like I'm just like, oh, yeah. tell me again about how you would be snowed in for months. Oh gosh, right. Oh gosh, let me just just take me to that place. Just take me there, mom. Like, like, tell me that story she again. She probably has PTSD about it. I mean, I'm one of those people that. It's a good point. Um, yeah. You know, uh, truly. I mean, she's more a little bit more uh, social than me, and doesn't you know? But she, she, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was like the worst time of her life because she was, had babies in in blizzards, and I'm like, oh my god, tell me about oh, it again. Oh god. <laughs> Oh yeah, but that's uh, yeah. yes. I am. Yes. My, my life is good. I have far fewer challenges than than pretty much anyone at, in any point in history. So fine. I hear you. And hear. I get to do you know I get to do this. I get to do this, which is not nothing. Oh my gosh! So on that note, Meredith, I, I um I know we're getting really close to our hour, so I, I I'm just going to mm-hmm. throw one more thing at you, just because I thought it was so great. I went on your Instagram today, which everybody listening, it's Meredith underscore Fog underscore Libros, and I'll have that in the link, so it'll be easy. You can click on it. And two things that I love: one, you're teaching a workshop called a Niyama workshop, but you spelled Ni K N E E dash Yama, and I like love it. That's creative as heck. <laughs> so classic. A workshop about the knees. But then the other little meme that you have, there's two little cartoon characters and one says to the other, what's your dream job? And the other one says, why would I dream of labor? And they both stare at each other. And then the person starts walking away and the one says, where are you going? And the other one says, to rethink my life. And I just cracked up because like, yeah, when you're overworked, you're like, my dream job, <laughs> what part of me is going to be dreaming about working my butt off every day? So hilarious. And if you look underneath that one, what my, my copy, my caption, Oh, I got to read. I think it says to no one, to no one in particular. Posting with no one specific person in mind at Libros. Yeah. So 
is very passive aggressive. Um, this is your husband. Into the oh. side of my workaholic husband. Aha. There's more to the story. <laughs> bet, There's yeah. more. Oh yeah. Look at that. There's yeah. so yeah, much. Yeah. There's so many layers. I wouldn't. I did not pick <laughs> that up. I, when I read the caption below, I was like, I don't get it. I'm not sure what she's talking about, but I didn't click yeah. on the link. I didn't click on his his profile, so now that makes yeah. Better and, sense. Oh, and speaking of my husband, every time he goes, you know, no one understands anything. He's like, <laughs> you're like you're very funny, but no, but it's not. But no one understands. That's not what Instagram is for. I was like, do it for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Like as we we started out, like I have a, you know, it's a personality traits slash maybe defense mechanism. I don't know, but I um I definitely pedal in humor. Like that's how I engage with the world. That's how I engage with people how handle anxiety, social anxiety, anything is just like being, you know, witty, funny, kind of silver tongued. So that that's like, that's just how I process everything. I have to have like a, a little bit of a tongue in cheek well, then my, attitude my last, about it. My last question for you then is how do you get your friends back <laughs> that punk you with the bets about how long it takes? There's got to be a good comeback. There's got to be something you could do to, to comedically <laughs> respond to the bets how long is it going to take it's going to take her two days i'll give a bet 20 bucks it's going to take her two days there's got to be something i'll try to think of it oh, when i know when i know they're doing it i text back immediately oh, oh, oh god with like, <laughs> I, with, I, I also with have like, hey, I, I do with like, and they know well, they know that i'm messing with them because i'll <laughs> exclamation mark at the end which i know is not or like two like two exclamation marks <laughs> I have a pet peeve my kids exclamation marks. So yeah, no, I don't. They, it, they, uh, this is great. Into the mind of they, Meredith. Uh, there's a, there's yeah. a lot here. I might have to do a follow up a follow up podcast <laughs> with you. There's, I barely scratched the surface. Um, no. But but thank you, Meredith, so much for yeah. taking time out of your busy day. I know you got away from the city. You're in the country now, and so hopefully you have a awesome moon day tomorrow. Yeah. And no, it's great. I'm heading up to Santa Barbara to practice with Steve Dwelly, who's a good teacher up there, old school teacher. So very cool. Great day and very adult cool. conversation. This has been um, <laughs> a uniquely good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Not about Legos really awesome and, to meet you yeah. and talk to you. Well, thank you, Meredith. I um I hope yeah. I have family out there. So next time I come out, I really want to visit your studio. So I I really look forward to it. And um once again, thank you so much. And uh, I will be in touch. Yeah. You should absolutely come. We have the best thing going there and it's it just like all it. organic. We don't, we don't really market or promote or anything. And we wind up just, it, it has just worked. And that is to Prani's credit for eight, you know, I've been with her for the past three or so, but oh, the Shala incredible. is a very uniquely, it, it, it runs on integrity. It really yeah. does. Um, her, her contribution to the, community is incredible and I'm just it has changed my life to get to be you know there and doing the thing that I just can't seem to quit <laughs> <laughs> which is which is teaching yoga um Keep but digging. yeah we would love to have you that'd be awesome oh thank you so much Meredith well, right. I'm gonna make a point cool. to do it all right have a great have a great practice tomorrow thanks all bye right. bye Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of. 
what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review, and join us next time.